everyone, and welcome to another episode of The James Wilson Show. It's been a while. I didn't do very many episodes in February, but I'm back. It's March 2nd, and today we'll be getting to the coronavirus. You know, originally I tried to stay away from this topic as I try to stick to some more political current event topics. However, the coronavirus has just been turned into a political mess. So we'll be covering all of that today. And of course, Super Tuesday happens to be tomorrow. So we'll get to the Democratic election. I missed some of the caucuses and debates. We'll be getting to all of that in the episode. We'll actually probably focus on the debates next episode, but we'll be getting to what happened in South Carolina, what happened in New Hampshire, and how that will impact Super Tuesday. Additionally, we have to say goodbye to Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, and Tom Tom Steyer. We'll be getting into all of that and their strategy moving on to Super Tuesday as they just announced that they wouldn't be continuing on shortly after South Carolina and just uh, just before Super Tuesday. So we'll get into that. And then the last thing we'll get into today happens to be about AOC and Ted Cruz. There's been a thing going around as Democrats say that Republicans don't know science and and that Democrats are the party of science. So that will all be interested. You're listening to James Wilson. This is The James Wilson Show. Okay, so as promised, we will start with the coronavirus. As I said in my intro, I was I was I was going to stay away from the coronavirus and all of that all the details on that just because it was more of a current event, you know, it's a disease, it's a virus, something going around, not very political. I wanted to stay away from that. Focus on more on other topics such as impeachment all of those sorts of things, more political issues. But my gosh, the coronavirus has turned into a big political mess. You know, both sides are blaming everyone for the coronavirus. The media is absolutely freaking out and blaming Trump. There's a lot of sides to this to the point where I just decided, hey, you know, let's talk about this on the show. Let's discuss both sides. It is a big political mess. I mean, yeah, we'll get to all the details on that. So the first thing to know is that there has been five deaths in the United States so far. Now, five deaths may not seem significant to you, but this is actually a serious virus. Um, Many people, thousands of people have already died from it. The, The likelihood of of dying from this virus is is now higher than the flu. So this is a serious issue, and I'm not trying to downplay the actual seriousness of this virus, but the media especially have been very, have been freaking out about this, have been making a big mess over this whole thing, and making it a lot more political and a lot more extreme than what it actually is. So Ben Shapiro over at the Daily Wire had had some things to say about this, t- basically talking about why obviously this is a serious issue, but we really need to calm down, analyze what's actually happening, take a step back, and solve the problem. Because many people, including the media, are over-exaggerating 
what's happening with the coronavirus. So he says, We don't know enough about coronavirus. China's initial attempts to crack down on information about coronavirus's spread delayed dissemination of crucial information to governments around the world and also led to a greater outbreak, as travel restrictions were placed later than would otherwise have been the case. Even now, China is being tr- is, isn't being transparent about the number of cases and deaths in China, attempting to clamp down on the severity of the outbreak in order to prevent disquiet domesticality. This means we simply don't know the transmission rate or the mortality rate from the coronavirus. Now, Ben Shapiro is exactly right on this. Because of China and how they haven't been necessarily open to the coronavirus and what's been happening, we don't know some key factors. Now, we do have an estimate and idea of what that is, but we can't completely blow this out of proportion because we don't actually know what the hard facts and hard statistics surrounding the coronavirus, what they actually are. Now, one of the reasons a common theory about why China is doing this is because they have a communist government with a dictator. I mean, it's not going to sound good for, you know, the virus if you come out with all this info that really doesn't look good for China. The government is going to do everything it can to make it look like China is a super amazing place and their government is amazing and perfect. And you can't really do that when you're spreading information about how many people are dying from a virus that started in your country. So that's just one theory of why China isn't being open about the coronavirus in the first place. That's just one theory. Obviously, there's more out there, but that seems to be one of the bigger theories about why China hasn't been giving us this information. However, there have been outbreaks. There's more and more people who have coronavirus in the United States. The Japan is closing schools. Italy has you know large outbreak there too. So we'll hopefully be able to find out more information about the coronavirus, but that simply isn't happening from what we are seeing in China. They're definitely not being open about what is happening uh, as he puts it, China's attempting to clamp down on the severity of the outbreak. Okay, and he goes on to point two, saying, America isn't other countries. Countries that have poor health facilities and less responsible governments are experiencing the full severity of coronavirus. Iran's entire central government seems to have been infected by coronavirus. Interesting. I mean, obviously, coronavirus is very serious, very bad don't want anyone to get it. We want to eliminate this disease as soon as possible. But it is interesting how the coronavirus has spread around Iran's government. Uh, One of the top officials to the Supreme Leader actually just died of the coronavirus. This all is coming down very interesting. I mean, if you look at the timing of this, this is right around impeachment. This is right around the time of all the current events happening in Iran, all sorts of things like that, Qassam Soleimani, and the coronavirus has really changed the attention from more political to more stopping a virus that could potentially become very serious. It's, it already is serious, but even more serious than it already is now. Ben Shapiro continues, China has obviously had severe problems controlling coronavirus. The United States has excellent health facilities, great wealth, and a ready distribution system for necessary materials. Now, this 
Ben Shapiro makes another good point. The United States has excellent health facilities. Hmm, I wonder why that might be. Could it be that we have a capitalistic society that allows this sort of medical growth to actually happen? Just an interesting fact to point out, we also have great wealth. The economy is doing amazing right now. It might be harder for the United States especially to combat and control the coronavirus if we were in a great recession. Now, the stock market hasn't been doing very well. Actually, today it did jump quite a bit, but I would say thanks to President Trump to put us in an economic spot that allows us to have um, a time of economic prosperity that has allowed us to focus on the coronavirus. Additionally, these excellent health facilities, these places are what is helping keep control of the coronavirus in the United States. I mean, five deaths, that's still a terrible thing for the United States, but compared to other places in the world, the United States is actually doing really well. Now, Democrats don't like this, and they're still getting mad at Trump for his control over that. We'll get onto that in a little bit. But it's common fact that we are we are in a time where the stock market is doing really well and that medicine and hospitals in the United States are at a point where we can help control these sort of things. I am I'm coming out with a Give Me Liberty short about capitalism and actually talk about some of the medical benefits associated with the United States and capitalism. Over 50% of medical patents are actually patented here in the United States. All interesting stuff that capitalism really helps even in times uh, where the coronavirus is spreading all over the world and the United States has been able to hand that really well, at least um, as of right now. Acceleration of that distribution will be necessary, but seems possible. There have been no calls of widespread quarantine as of yet, as there have been in other countries. And while each story of monitoring sounds scary, California announced today that 8,400 people were under monitoring. The experts continue to say that the risk to the general public remains low, if fluid. So again, we'll get to the media response to the coronavirus the media is going crazy over the coronavirus and completely blaming this on Trump, which really I don't think he deserves. I mean, you can't control what a virus does and what the United States has done so far. The facilities we already have set up have made us, have gave us a great advantage to combating this virus. So as we've seen, this is a very serious problem for other countries that have that don't have as good health facilities, can't control the disease as well. But I think there's a really good point made here that the United States is at a point where we can help control this, and we may not even have to take further precautions than what other countries are having to do. So now we get to the part where Trump is blame, being blamed by the media, being blamed by other Democrats. A little later on in this episode, we'll actually get to AOC's response to the coronavirus and Republicans on science. But Ben Shapiro continues, Trump is not mishandling the situation and Democrats are playing politics. Trump's talk radio caller shtick doesn't play well during an international crisis and this situation is no exception. Tweeting about coronavirus, spelling it wrong, and botching the basic facts about vaccine development aren't helpful, but the Trump administration has not mishandled this situation. 
Even the Associated Press acknowledges that Democratic complaints that Trump cut funding for the Centers of Disease Control is nonsense. The AP also explains that staffing levels are stagnant from the pre-Trump era. According to the AP, Democrats are presenting a distorted picture that that hasn't stopped the Democrats from playing ugly politics or New York Times colonists who idiotically terming coronavirus Trump virus, and Trump is absolutely right to smash Nancy Pelosi and company over it. Now, he does make some interesting points about Trump tweeting. If you heard in the news, Trump tweeted about the coronavirus, and he actually spelled it wrong. Now, this goes back to one of my earlier episodes. You can go check that out, the James Wilson Show. You're listening to it now, so you obviously have that pulled up. Um, but there's it's one of my previous episodes where I actually talk about the Super Bowl and how Trump had made a mistake, you know, thinking that the Kansas City Chiefs were from Kansas, not and not Missouri, which they're actually from. When you make a simple mistake, when you make a gaffe like this, it's not the biggest deal in the world. I think as a country, uh, the two parties are so divided right now, I don't think we should be getting mad over this type of stuff. Now, if this was something that were to happen on a daily basis, if you mess up your words every single sentence, you can't string a sentence together. For example, in one of my upcoming episodes, I already have planned to play a bunch of clips of Joe Biden, who has constantly been messing up his words. Now, that is something separately that we can talk about. But in the case of spelling coronavirus wrong, does that really mean that you're completely disqualified and you can't do anything about the coronavirus because you're wrong and you don't know science? Of course not. Now, I'm not saying that Trump knows the coronavirus better than anyone. Of course, there are obviously health officials who are dealing with this, that Trump is overseeing. But by simply tweeting something wrong, that I, we really have to get over this. If you're going to get mad at something because they spelled something wrong, then you really don't have an attack against the President of the United States. It's just showing us how desperate the Democrats are getting in their attacks. If they were actually trying to be serious, they would, you know, they would actually discuss important issues about the coronavirus, not just simply attacking someone over their spilling. There's a really interesting quote I like, you know, yelling isn't an argument. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that Democrats are yelling at Trump, which <laughs> they kind of are, but when you when you argue that someone can't spell or they're they you know, they're not a good speaker or you don't like their character, now that's a different issue. But that's not really an argument. You're discussing an issue that's actually important. And if Democrats wanted to find a solution to this issue, I think we should all be working together. Now, if this was Obama and the coronavirus happened during his campaign, I think the Republicans should do the same thing. I don't think they should be going after Obama saying, you know, oh, he spelled coronavirus wrong. I think we really need bipartisan support to help uh, to make uh, the coronavirus a top priority and finding solutions to making sure it doesn't become a pandemic or something that's really dangerous in the United States, that's important. And I think that's more important than partisan politics and parties at the moment. And it doesn't help that people 
the media, New York Times in this example, is terming the coronavirus Trump virus. I mean, do, do does anyone out there really think that Trump caused the coronavirus? I mean, the United States is doing really well compared to the rest of the world. We already talked about it. They have great hospitals, great medical care. We have some of the best medical care in the world, which we'll actually get to an episode of Give Me Liberty Shorts of Socialism, where we talk about how socialism impacts healthcare around the world. Because of the capitalistic society we have in the United States, we have great medical technology. We have great economic stability, thanks to Trump. And five deaths again that's terrible that's tragic but compared to other places of the world we've actually been doing a very good job so calling the coronavirus something like the trump virus is absolutely ridiculous and it's just showed us the political mess that the democrats are creating we really need bipartisan support to make sure the coronavirus doesn't come a bigger problem than it already is and that's when we can start seeing change. If you're just going to argue about the way someone spells something, the way someone says something, the way someone thinks about something, nothing is ever going to get done, and that's when it can become a serious problem. Now, yes, coronavirus has become a very political issue. The media is freaking out. You know, that was a New York Times columnist that, that coined, you know, coronavirus to the term Trump virus. The New York Times. Now, most of you probably aren't surprised, and we talk about lots of the New York Times articles that are extremely partisan towards one way, but stuff like this doesn't help. And especially the media, who reach millions of Americans every day, they shouldn't be the ones who who spread fear and and blame President Trump for this. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't, take precautions against the coronavirus. Of course, we should be taking appropriate precautions against the coronavirus. But at the same time, we don't need to over-exaggerate it to the point where everyone's freaking out and it becomes a much bigger issue in people's minds than what it actually is. All right, so that's enough of the coronavirus. Now let's get to some more current political issues, which include the Democratic election. Yay! (laughs) No, So the Super Tuesday is actually tomorrow. Super excited about that. We'll have a new episode Wednesday talking about how Super Tuesday is going to be the biggest part of this, the 2020 election, in my opinion. Now, obviously, this is going to shape what the primary election looks like, but this is going to have such a dramatic effect on who the primary, who the Democratic nominee is going to be, that it can have direct consequences to the 2020 election as whoever goes against President Donald Trump. So to start, let's um, talk about what's at stake. So Super Tuesday, there'll be a lot of people going to, you know, going to vote, caucuses, polls, all those sorts of things associated with that. And the reason it's called Super Tuesday is Okay, tomorrow's Tuesday, that's one reason, but lots of states are going to do this. We've already seen Iowa, we've already seen New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, but this is where a lot of new states come into play. So we have California, Texas, North Carolina, Virginia, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Colorado, Tennessee, Alabama, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Utah, Maine, and Vermont. Yes, that is a lot 
of states. And actually, a lot of delegates, delegates at stake too. California alone has 415, with Texas at 228, North Carolina at 110, and Virginia at 99, and all states lower than 99, of course, the lowest being Vermont, which has 16 delegates. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked about Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, the direction it was heading. Uh, I'm sorry I wasn't able to get an episode out more through February. I actually caught the flu, and hey, being a 14-year-old, having high school, that gets in the way as well. I have to catch up in school. So we actually missed a lot of the the Democratic primaries, all that sort of stuff. So let's go ahead and catch up. From where we left off, from my last, last episode, I pointed out that this race is mainly going to be between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And after that, Mike Bloomberg actually entered, now he was already in the race, but he actually got to go to a debate. Now, Mike Bloomberg, even in some polls, was ranked third nationally and was becoming really big. Many people thought that Bloomberg could be the alternative to sleepy old Joe and crazy Bernie. I'm not labeling them that. That's just what lots of people consider them. But Mike Bloomberg had a really rough night at the debate. And is he still a major candidate? Of course he is. We'll get to many candidates who had just dropped out. So he's one of the only candidates left. But Bloomberg was kind of one of those candidates, such as Kamala Harris, who started small, got really big, and then just kind of faded. And this is where Mike Bloomberg is headed. It was looking very promising for Bernie Sanders, as he had he has the most delegates in count. Actually, let's get to that before we move on. Sanders has 60 delegates, Biden has 54, and Warren has 8. All others have either dropped out. Amy Klobuchar had 7. She dropped out just today. And even Mike Bloomberg has none. So Bernie Sanders has a narrow lead uh, from everyone else. But South Carolina really showed us something. South Carolina went and they actually voted in strong favor for South Carolina, South Carolina voted in strong favor for South Carolina. Yes, that makes sense. South Carolina voted in strong favor for Joe Biden. Now, many people saw Joe Biden fading. Mike Bloomberg was the alternate. Then he started to fade. Joe Biden wasn't doing so hot either. He didn't gain very much steam in the polls. And then South Carolina happened. And Joe Biden got 48.7% of the vote. And to put that in comparison, the person in second place, candidate Bernie Sanders, got 17%. Yikes, 48%, 17%? That is a major difference. Joe Biden blew out the competition. And so that really brought that South Carolina, if Joe Biden didn't win South Carolina, he would be out right now. He really would. But he blew out the competition in South Carolina. And that leads many to think that he may be, he may have a chance at receiving the nomination. Many people thought that after the first couple of states, he was not going to do very well and was going to drop out. But Joe Biden really has been revived since South Carolina, which has not been good for Bernie Sanders, who is looking more and more as Elizabeth Warren faded, as Joe Biden faded, like he was going to be the presidential nominee. 
Now we're going to get to this. There's been this democratic strategy, and you can kind of see, which I'll point out in a second, against Bernie Sanders. Now the media, Democrats are freaking out that Bernie Sanders now actually has a pretty good shot at winning the nomination. Many Democrats believe Bernie Sanders will not be able to take out Donald Trump in the election. And one of the top priorities for the Democrats is to take out Donald Trump. So if you see here, the main contenders against Bernie Sanders or contender is Joe Biden. After a revival of South Carolina, it's becoming more and more like a race between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. It wasn't looking like it over the past month, but now, set in the stone again, it's Joe Biden versus Bernie Sanders. Now, there's been a lot of support against against Bernie Sanders, as we've seen in some of the previous debates. Many of the candidates have been attacking Bernie Sanders over some of his more extreme policies. But what these candidates realized going into Super Tuesday is that they were going to split the votes among themselves and Bernie Sanders was going to sail free towards the nomination. So all these states, if you look, are pretty much going to decide who is the nominee. California alone has 415 delegates at stake. So candidates Amy Klobuchar dropped out today. Pete Buttigieg also dropped out over the weekend, and Tom Steyer dropped out after not doing as well in South Carolina, which could also have played into the more moderate strategy. Now, when I first saw this, I was really confused. Why would, a, why would a candidate do this just before Super Tuesday? And then you start to realize Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, and Tom Steyer are all in the same lane. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are the more progressive socialists, and Joe Biden, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, and Tom Steyer were some of the more moderate candidates. Now, we actually saw this a couple of presidential elections ago. It was Ross Perot running as an independent with George H.W. Bush running for his second term. They split up the votes because they were both Republicans, although Ross Perot was running as an independent. He was more conservative-leaning, and that gave the nomination, uh, not the nomination, uh, the winner who is to become the next president to the Democrats. Now, this is exactly what is being set up for Super Tuesday. If Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, and Tom Steyer didn't go out, they would all split the moderate vote. And then as Elizabeth Warren is fading and dropping so hard, you've got all the socialist support for Bernie Sanders and all the more moderate support split up against five different candidates. And Bernie Sanders almost already has tons of the states lined up for Super Tuesday. So it's actually kind of a smart move for Amy Klobuchar and those other moderate candidates to drop out. They all, actually not Tom Steyer, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, as well as Beto O'Rourke, actually went and endorsed Joe Biden, trying to see, you know, hey guys, we're moderate, we endorse Joe Biden, he's more moderate too. This is obviously a setup to try and combat Bernie Sanders, and it will be interesting to see what the outcome of this all is. Now, the Republican strategy for the general election, there's been some mixed support. Some Republicans would like to see Joe Biden go against President Donald Trump, and some of them would like to see Bernie Sanders. Now, obviously, Republicans would much rather Joe Biden 
as president than Bernie Sanders. And that's where the divide comes in. If Democrats aren't even confident that Bernie Sanders can win and beat Donald Trump, then why would Bernie Sanders beat Donald Trump? You know? So then, there's there's the question, so would it be good if Bernie Sanders went up against Donald Trump? Because there's a high chance, or at least from many people, what they're seeing, including Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, that Bernie Sanders will lose. So that's a higher chance of President Donald Trump being reelected, which is what a lot of Republicans would like to see. However, if Bernie Sanders were to win and beat President Donald Trump, that would be 20 times worse for Republicans. So the question becomes, do we stick with Joe Biden, who probably has a better chance of beating Donald Trump, and if he beats him, you know, it's not the end of the world, or do we go with a more risky candidate who has a less chance of winning, but if he wins, could dramatically change America for the worst. So there's differences in Republican strategy for the general election. We didn't talk much about Mike Bloomberg. It's really becoming a race between Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And again, we'll get to more debate topics that some of these candidates have discussed in previous debates. And we'll go over who won the Super Tuesday states and how that will affect the nomination. Honestly, after Super Tuesday, I think whoever has the most delegates will become the presidential nominee unless you have to, unless it's an open convention and there's no clear winner. That's also, that also could very clearly happen. All right, so we finish up today with Ted Cruz ripping on AOC. Now, as discussed earlier, coronavirus, all this um, pandemonium, uh, AOC decided that she was going to rip on President, not President, Vice President Mike Pence. So she said in a tweet, Mike Pence literally does not believe in science. It is utterly irresponsible to put him in charge of U.S. coronavirus response as the world sits on the cusp of a pandemic. Now, there's this whole debate on the fact that Republicans do not believe in science. This is the most ridiculous claim I have ever heard. Like, honestly. Actually, probably not most the most ridiculous, but it's, it's a claim I think the, the left tries to put on the right to kind of not dehumanize, but to, to paint the, the right you know, conservatives of people who ignore science, who don't know facts, who aren't aware of anything. You know, many will pe- many people will say facts lean left, which is obviously not true. Now, good for Ted Cruz. He decided to step in and he had some questions for AOC. And he actually represent, he actually, the questions represent each of the three things I would actually talk about, which is kind of funny. But here are his three questions. So, he actually, you know, tweeted these all individually, you know, but he he summarizes them all at the end and he says, science question one was, quote, tell us, what exactly is a Y chromosome? Science question two was, at what age does science tell us that an unborn child feels physical pain? And science question three was, of the 195 countries on planet Earth, which country produced the greatest total reduction in CO2 emissions in 2019? Now, these are some really interesting questions, and AOC actually responded, 
basically on how she won a science fair in 2007. Now, it wasn't some elementary school science fair. It was it was a pretty big science fair, but she didn't actually answer the questions. So let's start with the one about abortion. Science question two. At what age does science tell us that an unborn child feels physical pain? Now, the argument from the left on abortion used to be the fact that a baby doesn't have a heartbeat. A baby isn't viable. A baby can't feel pain. You can't define a baby until it's born. All those, you know, kinds of questions that led to a more deeper debate. But Democrats today have gone as far to say, you know, abortion up until birth, which is absolutely insane. We've talked about abortion a lot on the show. It's it's one of my more passionate issues. It's been scientifically proven that really young children in the womb can feel pain. There's this whole video series on how abortion procedure procedures are done, especially during the second trimester. The babies are literally being ripped apart. It's gruesome. It's terrible. And the fact that these babies can feel pain as well, that it's somehow the woman's choice to you know, kill another person. This whole thing is insane. It's obvious that AOC did not answer this question because it's a very young age and killing it is going to hurt it. It's like killing another person. So science question two, question for the Democrats. At what age does science tell us that an unborn child feels physical pain? I'd like to pose that if you have any Democratic friends, I'd like you to ask them that question if they ever question whether Republican, Republicans or conservatives believe in science. And science question three. Of the 195 countries on planet Earth, which country produced the greatest total reduction in CO2 emissions in 2019? And the answer is, drumroll please, the United States. Now, you know, it's been scientifically proven that the Earth has been heating over the past couple of years. However, AOC has gone as far to say is that we need to eliminate all cars, we need to rebuild all buildings to a certain standards, we need to eliminate planes, we need to eliminate cows. The Green New Deal goes incredibly far and would lead us into one of the worst economic recessions of the United States history. It would totally, it would turn the United States into a third world country. Now, it is interesting to think that many Democrats are arguing with Trump that he pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement. But in fact, the United States has reduced its carbon emissions more than any other country on earth. That's just an interesting thing to think about that, that, you know, maybe we lower CO2, maybe we lower pollution when we actually leave it to businesses. Now, you may say, no, that wouldn't happen, and it's a fair conclusion to make, but that's not actually what we're seeing. The United States has been lowering CO2 faster and more than any other country on Earth right now, and that's as of 2019. This this whole thing is very interesting, and if AOC want you know, pollution, not the best thing in the world. Is you know, factories do help produce goods, you know, all sorts of things that we do use and, you know, use on a daily basis. But, you know, if there's no pollution, I think everyone would be happy, you know, as long as we're not a third world country and in an economic recession where everyone's poor and can't get anything because we don't have any resources because we can't utilize them. But 
we're living in one of the greatest the greatest place in the world the united states in some of the best times best technological times best economic development and we have lowered our co2 emissions in 2019 than any other country in the world i mean that seems like a pretty good start to me and of course his first question was tell us what exactly is a y chromosome another interesting question many of the democrats are going for you know for example that uh, a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man i'll get more into that in some of my more later episodes as we are out of time today there's also some news on some transgender boys and girls a california bill that will actually limit what stores can do to separate boys and girls clothing but we'll all get into that in the next episode as we're out of time again check back in on wednesday we're back every monday wednesday and friday we'll be covering super tuesday results it will be very exciting uh, my name is james wilson you're listening to the james wilson show and tune in on wednesday